0: This is Geek Gab with your host, John and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, February 10th, 2018. It is episode one. Three, 0, episode 130 we are going to be talking today and uh, this is not necessarily the order in which we will be talking about these things but we will most assuredly be talking about at least these things and perhaps much much more besides we are going to be talking about gloomhaven we are going to be talking about the movie the 1517 to paris and we're going to be talking about Winchester, which is also a brand new movie, both of those hit cinema this week, and I, your host, bravely and boldly went to see those movies so that I could come to you and tell you exactly how awesome they are, whether that's a teeny little bit awesome, or whether that's a lot, a lot, a lot a bit awesome, I have brought that knowledge with me that I may pass it along to you and you may be edified thereby. But before we dive into that, let's uh, introduce my co-host who has been with me since the beginning and uh, actually a decade and a bit before the beginning of this show, uh, Dorinald, a.k.a. John. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing fantastic, if a bit tired. How about you?
0: I think it would be amusing for you to tell the audience why you are physically exhausted today
1: oh that would that would amuse me not you uh i i skipped all the dan- all the uh gaming and reading and working sorry jeffro i still haven't finished appendix n because i'm uh i was out dancing last night but rest assured guys i did the dancing as geeky as i could manage it was uh it was just some east coast swing
0: he was so. dancing the night away with a bevy of beautiful women. So I want you to to allow that to sink in, folks. Exactly how much he is putting into enjoying his life and also getting some great exercise.
1: Yeah, I know. It's, it's not the geekiest thing. I, I'm going to have to make up for that with a bunch of uh, board games this afternoon. But uh, it was fun. I had a great time.
0: I'm going to tell you, this is kind of small and silly, but I thought it was hilarious. When I went to the movies, there is, of course, before the movies, all the uh, commercials. And it's not just, um, you know, coming attractions anymore. It's not just trailers and previews. No, no, no. Now they're having commercials for real businesses. And one of them that's been running for, I don't know how long, it's been over a decade, is for this company. It's the local gas company here in my neck of the woods. And they have recently changed their name. Now, their name used to be Questar Gas. And I I always thought that was funny because in my mind, the name Questar sounds like a Saturday morning cartoon hero, like from the early 80s, right? You have He-Man, you have Thundar, you have Questar, you have the Transformers Optimus Prime. Fits right in. And what they... So heroic, pulpy, wears a space spacesuit carries a laser gun, shoots aliens. Questar. That's what I thought of when I heard that name. I can see that. They changed the name of their company. From Questar Gas to Dominion Energy. <laughs> Dominion Energy. They sound like a villain, like a villainous mega corporation from a cyberpunk novel.
1: That's exactly what I was thinking. They've really embraced our dark cyberpunk future.
0: If I wrote a cyberpunk novel and I put in it a company named Dominion Energy, all the readers and critics would complain that that was too on the nose, that that was too obvious, that they would say that was going too far. It's like naming your bad guy villain antagonist. Or Valetian antagonist for that authentic European flair. Not that people haven't done that. As the second The Expendables shows. The Expendables 2, the main bad guy, played by Jean-Claude Van Damme, was literally named Valet. So, Dominion uh, Energy, Nate.
1: Don't forget the uh, most famous cyberpunk novel, whose protagonist is hero hero protagonist.
0: Exactly. So... The funny thing is, is right before the show, someone made a comment on my Facebook page where I complained about this yesterday, and they said that, in actuality, Questar was a science fiction movie magazine, science fiction fantasy adventure magazine from the late 70s and early 80s, Questar and i thought that that cannot possibly be true i thought that was absolutely ridiculous the most ridiculous thing i'd ever heard of so i searched for it on google and it is absolutely true it is 100% true quest star is a science fiction magazine they're talking about star trek and alien but also things like kiss The band Moonraker with James Bond. Um, They include fiction, interviewing Isaac Asimov. um, Bigfoot lives. They interviewed Mark Hamill, yada, yada, yada. That's what the magazine is, which I thought was hilarious that, that that is such a stereotypical name, and yet someone ran with it. So I don't know. The benefits of a an intriguing and compelling name. Now, speaking of which, you told me about the name of a game that has, in my mind at least, uh, an intriguing and compelling name. It's called Gloomhaven.
1: Pretty evocative, isn't it? Yeah. Gloomhaven's the name of a board game, and it's also the name of... It's it's a fantasy d like board game, and Gloomhaven's also the name of the hometown where your heroes gather.
0: So, so not a sunny place, is? Yeah, you know what? It's
1: there's always bad stuff happening in and around Gloomhaven, and and you spend the game traveling around the world, having adventures and fighting the bad things. But I mentioned it because I just started playing a campaign of Gloomhaven, and this is this uh, is a tactical board game that's uh, you know D and D esque adventurers versus the bad guys board game, but it's dripping with that theme and it's, it borrows heavily from the uh, legacy board game systems. Daddy Warpig, are you familiar with legacy board games?
0: Those are the ones where you events that occur during the game are marked permanently on the board. They literally change the map for all future games.
1: Okay. So this guy, the uh, the guy who made Gloomhaven did that with a Dungeons and Dragons style setting. It is it, it was a Kickstarter thing. It's it's a massively expensive game and it comes in this huge box. It looks like three other board games are stacked on each other. That's how big this box is. And it's got components and rules and cards, that detail the world of gloomhaven and and they've got a board that's a fantasy map uh but the board is very generic and laid out there are no towns or anything on the map besides gloomhaven and that's because every time you visit a new location on the map it's like playing a, it's like playing a, a video game you know you explore a new castle on the map you literally take a sticker that with that represents that castle and you put it on that spot of the map so th- uh, as you play and explore the world you literally put those things on the map and that's one of the ways in which you permanently alter the game as you play it they've got stacks of events that
0: so, go ahead that's kind of like a hex crawl thing
1: yeah it's it's more like a video game because the locations of those places are predetermined oh but- okay but but the order or whether you discover them at all depends on what you do in game you know if you finish one scenario it'll uh, scenario one it'll unlock scenario two if you finish scenario two it might unlock scenario three or if you fail scenario two it might unlock scenario four right it feels a little bit like a choose your own adventure okay and speaking of which they've got whole decks of cards of choose your own adventure cards that are things that happen as you travel or in town. And the whole, everybody playing, being the party, they have to make a decision and then flip the card over and see what the results of their decision is. Uh, maybe maybe you're confronting bandits or, or hunting down werewolves or something. And then, after that event happens, it, can, it doesn't ever happen again in the game world. You are instructed to actually destroy the card. Remove it <laughs> from the game.
0: Uh, that's quite the marketing gimmick
1: yeah yeah and and this is the sort of thing that was it was first popularized with risk they made risk legacy where you would play a series of games and the results of the game whatever happens during the game would affect the face of the earth for the next game uh, including you know whole territories could be erased off the map if you know due to nuclear war or something and and this one is sort of is not quite the same idea it's more like you're building you're having a campaign with with a group of other players and you sort of build this adventure world. Uh, So you're permanently altering the game, but you're doing things like exploring new parts of this world, having encounters, you know, facing or killing other villains, that sort of thing. And that permanently affects the actual components of the game. And I I feel another question coming up.
0: Does the game require uh, or hinge on the same group of players every time.
1: Uh, not quite. It's probably best if you do, but the rules on creating characters and and playing the game uh, from session to session uh, work with changing groups of players. You would you would form a party, but uh, if if someone's not there the next time you play, that's fine. You just play with three players or two players. And if uh, someone else jumps in and joins the party, that's okay. There's nothing against them starting a new character with one of the existing character classes. And the character classes are the most mind-blowing aspect of the game. The box has a bunch of different character classes, something like 20. Only six of them are available at the beginning of the game. So you've literally got boxes of figurines and, and rules and action cards that you can't look at because you haven't unlocked them yet and as you play through the adventure you may trigger events or scenarios that uh, will trigger your character to retire each character is given a card with a personal quest and if they meet that requirement the character is forcibly retired and most of those quests unlock a new character class Hmm. so this isn't just a game you play four or five six sessions you can play this game for years and unlocking all the you know all these scenarios and all these characters and everything
0: so what are some of the classes what are some examples of some of the classes
1: so the the game starts off with a few of your your standard classes. There's the the brute and the scoundrel and the sorcerer. And there's a couple. And the other three are a little weirder. There's like a there's a gnome-like tinker, and who, who uses mechanical objects. And it's got uh, it's hard to describe. There's a there's a rock guy, like an elemental earth character called the Cragheart. And and he, he doesn't play like your standard D&D classes. He's more about uh, creating obstacles and smashing obstacles. to so sort of he affects the battlefield physically. And um, the last one is called The Mind Thief. I honestly don't know what that one does. It's
0: a little too weird. So have you had a chance to play this?
1: Yeah, I've played... Uh, I, I, I sat down with a buddy... And we did, a, uh, we, did an ex- we did a casual scenario just to sort of try to learn the rules. And then this week we, did, we started a campaign and we, we played through the first scenario legit. Uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a little complicated. There's lots of rules to follow. And it's, since it's a cooperative game, it's one of those things where everybody sort of has to remember to do all the things in the right order and, and make sure that we're all following the rules. Uh, otherwise it may not be a fun experience but it's it's big it's epic and uh, just the first couple scenarios it was a lot of fun and and it's tactical too uh, it's not like uh it's not like a typical cooperative game where you know one guy's the quarterback and he just tells everybody what to do it's everybody has their own hidden agendas and 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 hidden bonuses and uh, and so you you make your own decisions in the tactical turn to turn combat, uh, and then everything else feels like you know this grand world building experience. Yeah, uh, Jackson Anderson in chat asks about the characters. Uh, you already heard some of the descriptions. You can tell the characters are a lot more like your new style superhero D and D characters rather than your generic you know loser fighter with. 12 strength sort of old school d and characters.
0: So, um, how much does the box set? How much is it to get into this?
1: As far as I know, it is totally out of print. If you want to pick a copy up, it's gonna be at least $200, I think. Wow. Yeah, and, and who knows if and when they're gonna come out with another printing. I imagine they will because the secondary market got nuts. Uh, Amazon.com lists one for under 200. That uh, doesn't seem likely. It's probably going to be around 200 to get one. Nice. Uh, but check it out on check it out on boardgamegeek.com. It's really it's really cool. Um, the, this buddy of mine who I'm playing with, he said that he kickstarted it at the beginning and totally forgot about it. He, it was one of those things where he just he says that sounds cool. I'll put a couple, little bit of money down, and uh, and he ended up getting it like a year or two later. And it's it's I think it's great.
0: Well, yeah. Amazon says there's two left in stock for 19095. dollars um, Get it. So, I'm not going to get it. Um, all right. Well, um, let us actually, since you're continuing to do that, um, go ahead and, and if anything interesting or unexpected, because you have to open up those packages, so you might get stuff that you have no idea would have existed, right?
1: Yeah, there's there's there are events and locations and things that you can unlock that you aren't necessarily going to unlock. You know, you may you may finish the whole campaign, you may be done with the game and have, you know, uh three or four classes and four or five events that you never unlocked, that you
0: never saw. Okay, well, uh if you continue to play it, um go ahead and you know, fill us in. Keep us up. Keep us yeah, up to absolutely. if there's anything happens. Um Yeah. Did you want to talk about the I'll other also,
1: game? You uh, had... I'll, I mean, I'll also let you know if, if it actually uh, gets back into print.
0: <laughs> did you uh, want to talk about the other game you had mentioned before I went on the air?
1: Oh, it's, it's another Kickstarter game named Scythe. I thought I'd uh, mentioned it before, but I, I did get my own copy uh, a couple of months ago. Um, that's another. Uh, I, I'm going to take the rest of our time talking about that. So so let's save that for another time.
0: Okay. Um. I will say that uh, I'm looking again. I'm looking at a uh, site on Amazon and I know this artist. They say World Building and Art by Jacob Rosalski. Um, I've been looking at his art for a couple of years now. Um, he's got some very, very interesting World War One style mech art. Uh, and every now and then I go back to like his art station or his DeviantArt or wherever he is and uh, check to see what new stuff he's added. He's got some great, great stuff there. He also does like this um, old European. Uh, werewolves. Uh, he's got a series of pictures like that that are just really, really great. If you're uh, looking into kind of a Victorian era, World War One era, or a little bit before then, uh, werewolf game, you definitely check out his art because they're uh, very evocative. They're great concept art for something like that.
1: Yeah, and that's the reason why I got it. Uh, it's I'm a sucker for tactical board games like Scythe. It's really crunchy, sort of a 4X style game. Civilization-esque but it's the art that really drew me in it was actually a, a, another friend of mine who said john john we have to play this game it's got hussars in it and i said what's a <laughs> i said what's a hussar and she goes no it's the polish cavalry they're paladins all right you're gonna have to explain this and and the the hussars they're called winged hussars uh, polish cavalry who mounted wooden wings on their backs that stuck straight up from from the back of their breastplate so that when they rode into battle, it looked like an army of angels bearing down on you. It's a real thing, a, a real thing that happened in history. Absolutely wonderful and terrifying at the same time. And, and that's part of the artwork in Scythe. It, Scythe is set in sort of an alternate history Europe, just after World War I, except world, it had Mecca in World War I. And so each player plays a representative of a vaguely European nation. Um, and they have their own animal companion and they can build mechs. And so you're, you're exploring this little section of Europe where the mech factory uh, exists, the original mech factory exists. And so you're exploring and, and gathering resources and building up your workers and and sometimes doing a little bit of fighting, um, but it's the world that really drew me in—that that evocative artwork uh, from the artist. And it's all the art is done by the same artist. It's all done in that sort of impressionist style. And there's almost always, uh, you know, this this peaceful sort of early 20th century scene with a mecca striding through the background uh it's really fantastic stuff um so as a game i give it two thumbs up it's it's technical it's interesting it's complex um and as a piece of as something that you want to have in your collection uh like i i have this game it's it's uh Cover the top of it is facing out. I, I don't. I don't just shelve it like the rest of my games. It's a beautiful, beautiful game.
0: All right. Um, and Scythe is a, a really, really evocative name too. Um, unlike the next movie uh, or the first movie I want to talk about, which is the 1517 to Paris. That's an awful title, and I'll tell you why it's an awful title. Because I saw the movie yesterday, and a minute after the movie started, I couldn't remember the name. And after the movie got out, I couldn't remember the name. And when I went to tweet about the fact that I had saw the movie and we're going to review it today, I couldn't remember the name, and I had to look it up every time. I had to look it up. And when I, you know, went to schedule the show this morning, I couldn't remember the name. It's an awful name. It's long. It's tongue-twistery, and it doesn't mean anything. If they had named it like Three seventeen to Paris. That would have been better. Um, it or just three seventeen. Whatever. Something simple. Something clear. I know this is a small complaint, but it was. It's it's really been, it's a small complaint. But when it happens a lot in a day in less than twenty four hours, you remember it.
1: Yeah, I would have gone with uh, snakes on a train myself.
0: Snakes on a train. Um, so here's the thing about 1517 it's directed by Clint Eastwood and he is a phenomenal director he's done a lot of great movies um one of my favorites Gran Torino that was a really good movie it is a really good movie he directed it very very interesting movie um very, very moving movie. Here's the thing the main characters, and, and I, I guess I'll go into some background real quick. There was at one time on a train from Amsterdam to Paris, a Islamic terrorist pulled out an AK 47 and was about to massacre as much of the train as he could. A man grabbed the AK-47 and ran and was shot by the pistol. The terrorist shot him with the pistol. Then he picked up the AK-47 and three Americans, two soldiers and a civilian who were all friends who had been traveling around Europe together who were going from Amsterdam to Paris, Attacked this terrorist, beat him down, tied him up, and then one of them performed emergency first aid on the guy who had been shot because he'd been shot in the neck in his carotid artery and was bleeding out. He saved that guy's life, stopped the massacre on the train. So, this yeah, is I a real event. real event, really happened. So, they wrote a book about it. Um, the people involved got m- several medals, uh, including the French uh, Legion of Honor, um, you know, and, and a couple of distinguished medals from uh, the uh, from the army. Uh, and then the civilian got the uh, Secretary of Defense uh, Merit Award. So, so, very prestigious awards. Um, I think the Legion of Honor is the highest award France can give. So they wrote a book about the experiences of these men on their trip around Europe. And it went into their childhood, how they met and became friends. They've been friends since they were in middle school, how they met and became friends, what eventually led a couple of them into the military, so on and so forth. And then Clint Eastwood got the script and started to make the movie. And here's the thing. The three men play themselves in the movie. Huh. So, there are... The movie is a great movie because it's directed by Clint Eastwood. It's, uh, you know, well shot. Um, all of the supporting actors turn in great performances. It's uh, compelling and moving. And even if you know about the events that happened, um, the, they, it's tense. And the entire movie is building up towards this attack. And we start off with a clip of leading up to this attack. And then you flash back to the boys' lives. And each time they flash back to the boys' lives, it sets up another reason to explain why they acted the way they did, how they got to be the men they were who could act in the way they did, how they learned the skills that got them uh, to be able to act the way they did. One of the characters who tackles the terrorist basically body checks him, slams him into the ground, played football for a while. So that's a, that explains why he was able to do what he did to the terrorist. So they're going back and forth between the past and the present. And every time they go back to the present, they move just one little notch forward in the attack. And then another little notch forward in the attack. And they explain how they got to that point one of the characters says at one point that they feel like their life is racing towards and i'm misquoting this and i apologize um they feel like their life is racing towards some critical moment some critical event and that everything they've done up until now has been preparing them or pushing them leading them towards uh, some life-changing event, um, and the movie is kind of set up to present the terrorist attack as if it were that last, that event that his life was heading towards and explain why and explained everything that had, you know, been going on in his life since before he was in middle school led him to be able to be the man he was to stop this potential massacre. The terrorist had an AK-47 or an AK-74. I think it's a 47. And he had 300 rounds of 7.62 ammo for it. 300 rounds. Um, Some were loose, some were in clips. You can kill a lot of people who are unarmed civilians on a train if you have an AK-47 and 300 rounds, and they managed to stop it. So it's a good movie, and it's a compelling movie. The problem is the three men who are playing themselves are not actors. They can't act.
1: That's a shame. Clint Eastwood couldn't even save him from that.
0: Um, I'm not saying it ruins the movie. But it's definitely... And it's more noticeable at times than others. And they're trying. There's just that hint of inauthenticity, of kind of wooden delivery, of a little bit of awkwardness. And I don't blame them. I mean, it's... Amazing that they're able to get their lines out in the first place. I mean, think about it. If someone took you and sat you down in front of a camera and you were on live to the whole world right now, 99.999% of people would just freeze. They wouldn't even be able to do anything. Sage fright would just paralyze them. It doesn't matter if they were, you know, super tough Navy SEALs or a tiny little skinny kid, they'll just freeze up because it's nerve-wracking, it's a nerve-wracking experience. So the fact that they were able to do performances at all is kind of amazing, but it does distract from the movie to uh, a moderate extent. If you can get past that, if you can get past the fact that these are terrible, they're not the worst performances I've ever seen. They're not overacting, they're not trying too hard. I've seen a lot of bad actors try too hard. They come off as just hysterical, awful.
1: So, but, so it's just normal. It's like watching a basketball player try and do a car commercial as opposed to, oh, I don't know, Tommy Wiseau in the room.
0: Yes. Yes. It is you're not. Like
1: that's, you're like, that's a terrible commercial, but he is just a basketball player. We don't expect him to act.
0: Yes. Exactly. These they do. They do much better than Tommy Wiseau does. Um, so, it is a good movie in the sense that it presents um, some great and interesting. Um, I wrote a my article at Castelia House last week was about the need for movies and books and other things that present wholesome masculinity in. Uh, a positive light to show why it's virtuous and necessary. And this is another movie in addition to um, the two I mentioned in the article. Uh, and you can check out my Castalia house post. There's a link in the description of the video. Um, it, it's another good movie about noble men who um, risk their lives literally to save other people. I mean, The guy who charges at him first, he actually pulls the trigger on the AK-47, and it misfires. That particular round doesn't go off, and that gives him just enough time to get to the bad guy. It wasn't a jam. It was a misfire. Uh, If he had got a chance to pull the trigger again, he would have shot him. And if that bullet had gone off, he would have shot him. Um, So... You know, people, if you believe God God looks out for people, God was definitely looking out for him that day. When he tackles the terrorist, the terrorist pulls out a knife, nearly cuts his thumb off, and then proceeds to cut him around the face, back of the neck, top of the head. And then he has to get down on the ground and save a man's life by holding his carotid artery shut so the blood doesn't gush out until... Um, medical personnel can get there while he's got a thumb that's almost cut off. So.
1: Well, no wonder they wanted to make a movie
0: of it. That's <laughs> downright heroic. It is uh, It is a great movie. With The themes of the movie are great. It presents an interesting story of these characters. It's done well. But it just, you need to put aside the fact that the... Um, the performances are not going to be what you might otherwise expect from great Hollywood actors. That's just—it's just there. You just have to accept it. So, that's fifteen seventeen.
1: That is a terrible name.
0: It is a terrible name. Awful name. Um, now the worst name they could have named it was Paris three seventeen. That. <laughs> Absolutely the worst name possible for that movie. Um, and I, I'm I sure heard
1: 1517 to Paris and Clint Eastwood. I honestly God thought it was going to be a cowboy movie.
0: Yeah. Well, they have uh, what is it? The Three Something to Yuma? 310 to, Yuna. Yuma. 310 yeah. to Yuma. Yeah. So, all right. Um, also, not a compelling name for a movie was Winchester. Um, does it does it have to do with guns? Sort of, it is a movie about the wife of the founder of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. The widow. He died. Her child died very, very young. And she owns over half of the company. So she has a lot of money, a lot, a lot of money. And she spends her money for 20 years, spends her money turning an eight-room house into a hundred-room house. Building up rooms building up additional rooms, building up staircases that go nowhere, hallways that go nowhere, or that wind around in a maze-like fashion, building all these rooms and then blocking the rooms off with wood, nailing them shut so nobody can get in, or after the rooms have been for a while, tearing it down. The movie, if... 1517 to Paris is about brave soldiers fighting terrorists Then Winchester is about cowardly psychologists fighting ghosts. Um, Supposedly, uh, to this day, this is a real house. This is kind of sort of based on a real story. I don't know to what extent they fictionalized it. I imagine the answer is a lot. To this day, The winchester house which exists still exists in california you can go tour it is supposed to be the most haunted house in the country there are more ghosts supposedly the legends go in the winchester house than anywhere else in the country uh, than any other structure in the country so this doctor this psychiatrist is brought in by the lawyers and the board of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company because they want to get control of the company back from this crazy old woman that's wasting all her time and money building rooms, expanding this house, and then tearing the rooms down and building something else. They think that's nuts, and they want to take the company away from her. They are willing to pay the doctor $300,000 for a diagnosis, or $600,000 for their diagnosis. If you can see the subtle difference there. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the rest of the movie is him going to the house and staying in the house and trying to interview her and trying to interview her employees and trying to interview um, her daughter. And uh, spooky things happening. It's a horror movie. I hope I'm not giving that away. It's a horror movie. And horror-y things happen. Um, and I can't talk about the internals of the movie much without spoiling it for you. I mean, this is one of those movies where the mystery is kind of a large part of it. I will say this. This is not the best horror movie I've ever seen. Now, people say that. This is not the best horror movie I've ever seen in kind of a sarcastic fashion. What they really mean is, oh, this is awful. This is terrible. I, I can't I can't believe how, how awful and terrible this movie is. So I'm going to say it kind of sarcastically. No, th- I'm not using that in a sarcastic manner. This isn't one of the best horror movies I've ever seen, but it's still a pretty good horror movie. It's not super, super, super great, but it's still a good horror movie. If you like horror movies, you'll enjoy this one. Probably. I imagine. And uh, what it made me think of is two things coming out of the movie. To step back from the movie. It's a horror movie. If you like horror movies, give it a shot. I uh, enjoyed it. You will probably enjoy it too. If you don't like horror movies, then there's a good chance you won't enjoy the movie at all. It made me think two things about this horror movie that I want to um, talk about that are kind of like deeper in depth than just reviewing this movie. One of which is the fundamental pattern of American horror movies. And the other one of which is the virtues of the jump scare. Um, but let, the movie is well done. The acting is great. The cinematography is is great. Um, the special effects are great. Except for one scene, they, they didn't need to do what they did in the scene. There's a bunch of objects that are levitating and the special effects look awful. They look fake. Um, and so that was a mistake. They shouldn't have gone that direction. They didn't need uh, all of those objects levitating. Just one in that scene would have been enough. So I want to talk about the fundamental pattern of American horror movies. This does not hold, for example, for Japanese horror movies or German horror movies or um, French horror movies, Russian horror movies, just American. Uh, And nearly every American horror movie follows this pattern. Um, At least originally, originally. Uh, We've been getting further and further away from it during the late 90s and, and this century. There is a great supernatural evil that is a mystery that is terrorizing and victimizing innocent people. There is a backstory to this evil, an origin story to this evil that you don't see in the movie but you find out about it as you go through the movie as the characters who are being victimized or people they call upon to help them investigate the backstory. They discover the nature of the creature, what its strengths and weaknesses and capabilities are, and finally what it's vulnerable to. And when they discover that vulnerability, they can use it to defeat the horror. Killing it, dispelling it, whatever. So... The horror makes sense. Virtually all American horror movies have an explanation that makes sense with what happened. In Nightmare on Elm Street, it was about a, you know, this janitor who got burned in his spirit uh, lives on to have revenge of the children of the parents who were responsible for his death. And that is the backstory to Freddy Krueger. And that plays out through the first movie. Um, Sequels, by the way, tend to get away from this pattern. So this tends to only apply to the very first movie series. Um, So Winchester, if you wanted to have uh, a class study or a case study for a, a film class, about how American horror movies work, Winchester could be one of the canonical examples. There is a creature, there is a backstory, how the creature, you learn how the creature is operating according to the backstory. And there's actually three different backstories that play into it. The backstory of the wife and her house, the backstory of the creature itself, and the backstory of the doctor all come together in a really interesting way. And that's why it's a great case study, is it doesn't just take the model and apply it straight. It twists it, and it all fits together like a like a puzzle. So um, if you're interested in horror, if you're interested in writing horror, I would definitely recommend... Um, Yeah, The Fog is another great example, and I was going to mention that earlier. Uh, Norm Anderson in the chat is asking, does that go for The Fog? As far as I remember, The Fog was the final movie that I had watched before realizing this pattern. The Fog, the John John Carpenter movie called The Fog, not the remake, the John Carpenter one, was the final... Like, push for me to recognize this pattern. After I watched The Fog and I recognized what it had in common with other movies, horror movies I'd already seen, that's when I realized this is the pattern to American horror movies. And I keep saying that because Japanese horror movies don't have an explanation, generally speaking, they just happen. There is just something evil, and it just happens. There's no logic to it. You can't figure it out. It just is. And I'm not saying that's better or worse. That can make for very compelling horror. But it's not American horror. American horror has an explanation. Um so yeah, The Fog is a great movie, by the way. It's also a great case study for exactly what I'm talking about. This pattern is clearly there. Winchester plays with it. So it might be like your second case study is to look at how you can play with that model and how you can make things that fit together like a puzzle to go into this uh, into this general template of the horror movie. So I very much enjoyed Winchester. Something that annoyed me during the movie As I was talking with my brother-in-law about the movie, I realized that not only was I probably wrong about it, it annoyed me on an intellectual level, not on a visceral level. It wasn't a failure of the craft of the movie or the quality of the movie. It was something that I had learned to dislike. And so when it happened, it was effective, but I disliked it. And I'm talking about jump scares. Um, something happens, there's a loud sting of music or a loud sound and you're startled and you jump and then the movie goes on. Now what's, uh, what's the general, um, opinion on jump scares? That
1: they're cheap, lowbrow sort of.
0: Exactly. And here's the thing. That's why it annoyed me is it does happen too much in this movie. At least during the first half, they do too many. The number six keeps coming to mind. They might've done six of them. Um, It was around there. So here's my new thinking though, after uh, after thinking about it when my brother-in-law said it. Uh, My brother-in-law mentioned something else and it made me think about jump scares, how they operate in a movie. When you're watching a movie generally speaking, you have a protagonist who is the character you are intended to sympathize with and is the character who you follow through their journey in, uh, you follow them through their journey through the plot of the movie. They are your um, entry into this world that the movie sets up. You're supposed to empathize with them. You're supposed to and vicariously have your emotions Uh, prompted or prodded by what happens to this character. When this character hurts and is sad, we feel sad. When this character is in danger, we feel thrilled. Again, if the director's done his job, when this character succeeds, we feel happy. In The Karate Kid, right, Daniel Russo is the protagonist. He is the person who we follow through the movie. When Johnny beats him up, we feel bad for him. When um, he goes on a date with the pretty girl that he likes, we feel good for him. When he gets hurt in the karate tournament and his leg is, is so damaged, we, we feel really, really bad for him. He looks like he's about to fail. We're like, oh, that sucks. And then when he goes out and he wins, we feel great. That's the climax of the movie. We feel elated. That is the protagonist. Now, here's the thing about jump scares and why I think they're valid if used at the right time, if used for the right reasons, and not overdone, not just thrown in there thoughtlessly. If the movie is meant to take you along the journey of the protagonist, and provoke emotions in you that mirror those of the protagonist if the protagonist is nervous we should feel nervous if the protagonist is happy we should feel happy if the protagonist is startled we should feel startled and how do you do that jump scare that's how you make the audience feel startled the same way the protagonist is. So my opinion on jump scares has, has evolved just last night, because I think that is a perfectly valid way to bring the audience into the reality of the movie, into the reality of what the character is feeling, and that when used for the right reason, when used thoughtfully, not just thrown in for cheap um, thrills, but used in the movie, to enhance the audience identification with the protagonist. When done well, I think a jump scare is absolutely uh, worthy uh, and useful technique and that um, people who sneer at the jump scares don't understand why jump scares exist.
1: I can't add to that. that's that that's a that's a really good point i've i've seen a number of movies where the jump scare is just a sort of a cheap ploy to get everybody to hop in their seats when it's not part of the interaction with the characters on screen meaning the interaction between the viewer and the characters on screen
0: And and this movie, I think most of the times it does it, it actually is doing it right, doing it for the right reasons. Like the character turns around, there's something horrific there, and they're literally scared out of their mind. They're startled. Well, we're not going to be as scared out of our mind as the character is, but if you stick in a music sting, if you stick in something scary, then we're prompted to feel the feelings that that character is feeling at that time. So there was just too many of them for my taste but i think they did it for the right reason to show you what that character is is feeling to bring them along with. You. So again Winchester i thought it was a good horror movie um, if you it is it does not get as tense as, a lo, uh, as some of the great horror movies i've seen but it's still a good horror movie and of course it's it's well done. Um, all of it is technically well done, and the actors turn in really, really good performances. It has Helen Mirren in it, so, <laughs> um, so uh, you know, it's quite enjoyable. She turns in a great performance as the widow uh, of the Winchester. Um, the character, the story is satisfying. It makes sense. They don't cheat you. They don't lecture you. They don't. Um, they don't shortchange the audience um, with, you know, sometimes a lot of modern horror movies like to pull the rug out from under you, like everything seems like it's okay and going one way and all of a sudden they yank it out from under you and and laugh as they kill off the character you like the most or whatever. This movie doesn't cheat you. It doesn't try to trick you in that sense. It does keep the mystery growing and the climax is very, very tense Um, Because it involves two innocent characters who are on the verge of being killed horribly by what's going on. And another character having to use what he's discovered through the movie to try and save them. Um, And that is, I thought it was a tense scene. I thought it was a great scene. Um, And it's, it's not perfect. There's a lot of roughness to it it could have been done a little bit better and it definitely could have done with a better name, but it's still a good movie, not a great horror movie, good horror movie. And I mean that as a compliment, not as uh, you know, the modern day, Oh man, anything less than awesome is, is horrible. No, it's, it's a good horror movie. It's enjoyable. That, it's just not great.
1: That, that's great to hear. It's, it's definitely more than I expected out of, if you know the business, February is where uh, bad movies are sort of dumped because uh, the audiences are smaller. So it's it's a good sign that, uh, that the movies that you've been watching lately are actually pretty good.
0: Speaking of which, um, speaking of movies that are dumped in February that might not be good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We got a couple of doozies coming up, don't we?
0: <laughs> we have... Uh, next week is coming out the black panther or black panther the brand new marvel movie uh black panther the, you may not have heard this um you may not have noticed this on twitter um black panther the main character is in point of fact black in, in case you were wondering in case you're curious that is actually the truth Um, it's in theaters in six days and the plan is that we're going to watch it next week and review it on the show next week. Talk about Black Panther. Um, and maybe even talk about some of the things that have been said around Black Panther that are kind of ticks me off.
1: Yeah, why not? We'll talk about things that tick us off probably um, even probably even the movie given the quality of the last couple of Marvel films
0: yeah it, it may be I, I hope Black Panther is good I really sincerely hope the movie is good but it, if it is if it is not good I'm gonna say so and explain why so
1: well I mean the his introduction in the Avengers uh, last Avengers was pretty good so yeah at least at least the uh, the character in his his little set of superpowers uh, is a good start.
0: Uh, Avengers, or excuse me, uh, it, Captain America: Civil War. The Black Panther was introduced, and I thought he did. His character was great in that movie, and I like that movie by and large. Um, and I thought his character was great in it. So um, could be good. Could be good. I hope it's good. If it's not, I'm going to say so honestly. Um. That's definitely what next week's show. Unless some disaster happens and I'm not able to see the movie, or uh, you're not able to see the movie, that's what next week's show will be about. What? No, You said there were a couple of coming up. What? What was another one that you were thinking of?
1: Oh uh, I thought uh, isn't Solo coming out this year in the next month or two?
0: Solo comes course, out, I believe, in May. Um, Gosh, let me double check. Uh, I know Solo. That we've seen.
1: We've seen some teaser trailers in the past couple of weeks, and it's it's not going to be good, guys. Finally, this, that's the finally. official geek gab preview. is It's not going to be good.
0: I I would be willing to bet money this is not a. Uh, this will not be a good movie in theaters May twenty fifth two thousand and eighteen. Yes. So.
1: Okay. All right, um, so, so we just got one, we got one big geek movie coming up,
0: um, and then there, the next Marvel movie, uh, Infinity War, is right after that in May. So you get one in February, you get one in May. Um, it's just uh, it's too much, too many superhero movies, too many quote unquote you know geek movies. Um, and too many of them are just. It just seems like they're making them because they think they're going to be popular with the audiences. Um, and maybe they are. Maybe they're, you know, even with the failures like DC's failures, <laughs> uh, which are legendary, um, maybe they are still uh, popular with audiences. Uh, Who knows? But I, I'm just. They're getting worse and worse in my mind, uh, and I'm not. Uh, I'm having a hard time getting really excited for Star Wars at all. Uh, I, The Last Jedi, kind of burned me out on Star Wars. I'm kind of over it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you and most other people. Um, Star Wars is dead. They, I can't believe Disney killed it. Disney, of all companies, should have been able to uh, to do something with it. They killed it.
0: Yep. Uh, I don't see any... Well, I don't know. I mean, I thought these two movies weren't going to be very good. They were far better than I thought they would be. So I can't necessarily look at the you know lower-tier movies that are coming out. Um, A Wrinkle in Time is going to be awful, absolutely awful, guarantee it. Um Tomb Raider is coming out in March in, in just about a month. Um, there's uh, the remake of The Death Wish with, um, that's coming out in March. I hope that's good. I, I'm i not so certain about it. Um, they're just, yeah. Other than the few movies I've had uh, had the fortune of seeing, most of the things coming out, don't look very good. So
1: nope. If you thought 2017 was bad, it's going to keep getting worse.
0: So all right. Are there any final questions from the chat that we had to cover before we take off?
1: Uh, chat's been quiet. They agree with your sentiment on Star Wars, though.
0: <laughs> Awful. They burned it down. Um, okay, folks. Do you have any any last words on anything uh, before we take off?
1: Well, thanks for the great Gab Daddy Warpig. Thanks for everybody for listening and hanging out and chat and talking with us live. Hope you all have a great weekend.
0: Um. Yeah. Ditto. I thanks everybody for turning into the live show. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this show. We put a. a well, I, I I I have to be honest. It isn't necessarily they that we put in. Tons of hours in preparation for this show, but we do put in very intense preparation for this show, and uh, we hope to get another episode of Geek Gab Game Night out sometime soon. You should go listen to the last one we did, though. It uh, it was absolutely great. It was about old school mechanics. Um, and why they worked, talking morale and reaction rules and uh, gold pieces, experience points for gold pieces. It was a great show. Uh, if you have any interest in role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games, d d things like that, you got to go listen to it. And if you're running a game that isn't old school, that's 5th edition or 3rd edition or whatever, strongly think about adding those rules to your game. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been Geek Gab. We're signing up. We are out of here, but don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.